usually how I like to start these conversation is, it's really about an individual's journey. And uh, yours has been quite interesting, I kind of traveled around the, the map a little bit of the world. So I, I kind of want to start a little bit maybe of why you decided to join the Peace Corps. And I think then we can kind of go off on a bunch of different tangents. But let's start there of, of sort of why you joined the Peace Corps. And then what what were you doing for, for those uh, couple of years while you were there? Thank you, Grant. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. So I grew up in upstate New York outside of Syracuse. And that's where my dad's family was from. And my mom's family was from West Africa, from Ghana. So my parents met when my dad did the Peace Corps in the 70s. Ah. Nice. And so I grew up in a family where, you know, we're very international. We traveled a lot. And I always knew that I would one day want to do the Peace Corps because I kind of grew up in a Peace Corps house. And I got the brochure in, in high school. I was like, okay, after college, this is what I'm going to do. And I followed through with it. <laughs> so when you, where, where'd you end up going? Where were you sort of stationed? Quote unquote. Yep. So after college, I was assigned to work at a community health center in Mali, okay. uh, a Francophone country in West Africa. And my job was to support the community nurse and providing mm. health services, mostly pre and postnatal care to women. So they would come in for uh, checkups for their infants, for their toddlers, or if someone in their household was ill, they would come to the community health center to try to access health services. And this was my first time living in a rural environment in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, of course, I had the connection through my mother, but I had never actually lived in a community that had a lot of the challenges that I studied in college. So I majored in political science and international affairs and really wanted to focus on like global international development. And so I, I knew there were places that had access, issues with access to running water, issues with access to, to electricity, but mm -hmm. to be in, in the community and see it firsthand and see some of those challenges, particularly facing women, that's kind of yeah. what changed my entire career trajectory in terms of what I wanted to do with my life. And seeing, I think, seeing it day to day too, you know, some people can travel and go for maybe a week or something like that, but being day to day for, was it a couple, was it two years? Yeah, it's two yeah. years. No, yeah. for sure. You're completely right. Seeing it day to day, but also having uh, personal relationships with the individuals and like learning about their stories and seeing the love they had for their families and their communities and also just seeing people working incredibly hard and not really getting to a standard of living that reflected that hard work right so every day you're getting up early you're you know going out right. collecting water getting firewood like coming into your community you're working so 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 hard but there are issues around being able to pay for basic necessities mm -hmm. and so that really for me i felt compelled to to ask myself are, is there an alternative to this is there a better way whether it's figuring out income generating activities mm -hmm. whether it's figuring out how to access more resources so people that could live at a higher standard so that's kind of what started going through my mind i was it was more of like a curiosity like really wanting to understand why and then from there, being able to identify potential solutions that mm -hmm. could be community driven and community led because I'm only there for two years. And I started researching income generating activities. I started spending <laughs> a lot of time with the women's associations and sitting in on their meetings and just hearing their own ideas around some, some of the things that they were experiencing and also being very aware that, that they wanted changes 
for themselves and for, for their community members. And then that's where I want to show you this. So this is the Shea seed. Oh, wow. It so tiny. From, yeah. People think it's a much bigger thing, but yeah. yeah. The size of like an almond. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> and it, it grows on the fruit of the shea tree. And this tree grows exclusively in sub-Saharan Africa from East to West Africa. And women are the traditional harvesters. They're the producers. They're the ones going out, collecting this raw material, bringing it back into their communities and extracting out the oil that's contained in the seed. What do they use it? for there? Do they do it to, to sell it locally? Do they do it for their own mm -hmm. health and wellness? Like what, what is it sort of used for locally for, for the women? Locally, it's kind of that product you use for everything. Gotcha. So you can eat the fruit. Mm -hmm. The fruit is edible and then contained in the fruit is a nut. And the nut is kind of like in the middle, kind of like an avocado, but it's not. Okay. The skin of the fruit is not as thick as an avocado. Mm -hmm. um, and it's smaller than an avocado. And then inside of the nut is the seed. And in that seed is the oil. So women go through this traditional process wow. that's handed down from mother to daughter and they extract out the oil and use it primarily for cooking. Okay. So you know how like coconut oil has been yep. a thing, yep. you know, totally. especially like if you're paleo or keto or whatever, in the same way that you take coconut oil and kind of heat it up and can fry up your veggies or, you know, whatever it may be. Same thing with shea. Gotcha. Shea is, is a solid. And so when you put it um, for cooking, you heat it up and then you can like saute things in it. You can make stew sauces with it. So primarily it's a cooking oil. And it also makes sense why it's so closely tied to women, because in a lot of these traditional communities, women are the ones in the kitchen. Yep. They're the ones taking care of the household. So it's something that they use uh, to feed their family, but it's also used for hair care. Also mm -hmm. used for skincare. Mm -hmm. When a baby is born, it's the first thing they put on a baby after the baby has its first bath um, because it's a really great moisturizer. It's a skin protector. Wow. Um, so yeah, they use it for pretty much anything. If someone like twists an ankle, they rub shea butter all over it because it has anti-inflammatory properties. Wow. I mean, it's used for everything. Thing is magic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the magical properties of shea butter. Exactly. It, but it sounds like a you would have such a, like a deep connection too to like this fruit or product or whatever you want to call it. I'm sure, you know, something that does everything and you use every single day. It's probably like a pretty mm -hmm. cool connection, mother piece of mother nature for, for the community. So did you find out about this while you were on your, your Peace Corps initiative or was it afterwards that you found out about Shay? No, I actually had always known about Shea okay. to a certain degree because it's mm. used in a lot of body care products. So when I was younger, I'd always want to go to the mall with my friends gotcha. and we would spend all our time in Bath and Bodies Works, right? We would spend all of our time. <laughs> like, I think that my favorite set was like Freesia or something, you know, and you just buy up all the creams and you buy up. So I was that girl. I was always um, wanting to smell things, really excited about lotions and so I, I had seen stuff with Shea written all over it, right? but I never knew where it came from. I never knew. And, you know, I have a Ghanaian mother, never knew that Shea butter came from Africa. Um, and she grew, she definitely grew up with it. She grew up around gotcha. it. It was prior to going to Peace Corps, I was an intern at the American Embassy in Burkina Faso. So that's when I was first exposed to Shea butter in its purest form. Interesting. And I started learning about women who make it, but it wasn't until I was living in, in a village 
that I saw it firsthand, mm. that I even, you know, saw the women going out to harvest the fruit. And sometimes I would go out with them. Um, so that's when it became very real in terms of me really seeing its connection to the lives of women, seeing a disconnect because I was like, well, I remember buying this when I was little, when I go right. to the mall. Right. Right. Why right. is it different here? Why does it look different here? For one, it's not the same product. And then two, if it's starts here in these communities why are these women so poor mm. because i know i can buy it for ton, you know tons of money right. over here so i started feeling like there was something i needed to continue digging in to learn a little bit more about why there was this disconnect between what was happening local in these communities and what was translating to global market so how did you obviously get how did you get started like was that the light bulb moment was kind of over time realizing that there's a bit of a disconnect here right you have women uh, or community living in extreme poverty but you can it's almost like not a luxury product in america but it's it's sort of a you know health organic i mean it's not like cheap cheap right i mean it's still right you have to have sort of you know, money and understand it to go buy it from a store. And there's obviously good margins there, right? Uh, for the yeah. stores to do it at scale. So what made you actually look deeper into it and then actually want to start a company and a brand? Because that's a, that's a pretty big deal. For me, the, the driver uh, was these women. Yeah. I, I wanted to, to figure out how I could help them take advantage of a market like you've just so clearly stated that existed. Mm -hmm. And if people were, were selling it and, and getting it to customers in the U.S., then mm -hmm. money was being made. And the question was, how can we get these women access to some of that money, access to some of that volume? And so initially, I, I never planned to start a beauty business. I <laughs> often say I have no business running a beauty business. <laughs> I had used body care products and beauty products, but I didn't know anything in terms of product development, marketing, branding, ingredient formulation. Like all of that is yeah. something that I learned over time. And initially, when I moved back to the US in 05, I started a 501c3 nonprofit because I was really looking at this issue from a capacity building training. Mm -hmm. right. Maybe these women needed access to uh, the tools, the knowledge, the systems to create a pure product that was high quality. Maybe that was the problem. They weren't, they didn't have the infrastructure to create something mm -hmm. really great to connect to the market. So my earlier vision was to do that, help organize cooperatives, mm -hmm. give access to a capital to the women, figure out production equipment they could use to make the, the processing a lot easier. So it was really on the uh, the supply side, really digging in in terms of the, the ecosystem that, that would need to be created to help them even create something that could be shipped abroad. And so that's what I focused my time on for a, a pretty long time for over seven years, really looking wow. at that supply side. Yeah. And I discovered that, yes, there was this issue around capacity building. Yes, there was this issue around training women so that they could meet higher quality standards and giving them access to the tools and, you know, all of that. And so, yeah, I, you know, congratulated ourselves. The women are making a great shea butter product. Okay, I'm done. Yeah, no. <laughs> Where are they going to sell it? Where was that piece? The hard and part. <laughs> who are the buyers? Who's going to buy this stuff? And so I'll never forget, I like went to a conference in New York. So I, I'm DC based. I live in DC. And it was the Society for Cosmetic Chemists, their annual conference. And so I was like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to find a bunch of buyers. I'm going to connect them to these cooperatives. It's just going to be great. <laughs> 
And I remember going because it's one of those conferences where it's for ingredient uh, suppliers. So it's for people gotcha. who sell ingredients to the big guys, mm-hmm. you know, to mm-hmm. the large beauty brands that we're all. So at, at this point, it's still a nonprofit and you're going to this yes. to try to sell the ingredient, have them buy it wholesale at scale from, from your organization. Yes, that was the plan. That was the mission. I was yep. going to get in there and I, you know, did, I walked the floor. I, you know, started anyone who would listen to me. I would just start telling them about these women and these cooperatives and they're making shea butter. And over and over and over again, um, people would say, oh, well, though, you know, there's a quality issue. We don't source directly from women in Africa. We, hmm. you know, we have our suppliers from Asia. We have our suppliers right. from Europe. We, we've never done that. And they would list out reasons why. And then I soon started to discover that what the industry was bringing in marketing as shea butter is not the same thing that these women were making completely different product. And I'd like to illustrate it as like white sugar versus brown sugar or white sugar versus molasses, brown rice versus white rice, right? It's similar, but the properties are different. The production techniques are different. It's not, it's not the exact same product. Uh, the nutritional value to your bodies different, right? And so I realized what for decades has been marketed as shea butter is not pure, true shea butter directly from the source. I also noticed that there were so many intermediaries between the women and the market. There's, there had been this supply chain that was created that actually excluded these women. Interesting. And so these women were not actually being included in the benefits of the supply chain and value chain. And they were stuck in an informal place, an informal market where they were selling in very large quantities. That's the raw material, not actually adding value not creating a product that could give them access to higher pricing, access to, you know, a consumer market. They were essentially, in my opinion, a very big piece in terms of their labor. The piece. I mean, the piece that you need. Yeah. Yet they were not being Mm -hmm. compensated for that labor in a way that made sense to me. And so I left that conference a bit disillusioned, a little frustrated, and then realized, what am I doing? (laughs) This is so much bigger than I even ever thought or expected. I mean, I started Shailene in my early 20s again with no business background. And so I kind of, you know, took a little bit of time to to regroup, right? I had figured out one piece, but I had not really figured out the entire chain. And so that's where in 2012, 2013, I decided to do a pivot to actually develop body care products. This is where I was like, okay, we actually not only need to help women make the shea, that's one step, but we now need to create a product that we could connect directly to a consumer. And then that consumer, we want that consumer to care about the differences in terms of this is a pure product, this is better for them, communicate that difference to them in a way that makes sense. And then also target a customer that also cares about where the the product is coming from, caring about the woman who's behind the product, who's making the product. And so that essentially is summed up very quickly in how a product is made is valuable to the customer because how a product is made influences the benefits, influences the quality to the customer, and it also influences the impact 
on the lives of the people who make it. And so I started figuring that out, developing out that concept, came up with Transform Your Skin, Transform a Community. That was the tagline. And yeah, I became a beauty entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) How long was it after the, that where you walked, left that sort of conference that you made the decision to go a separate route, right? Make it sort of a brand and a business. Yeah, it was probably about two to three years. Wow. Okay. Really trying to figure it out. Yeah, it took a, it wasn't an immediate thing um, because I had to figure out packaging. I had to fill, figure out shipping. I had to figure out formulation. I had to, there was a lot of different things that I had to figure out. So it took a couple of years to figure out what that was going to look like. And then you didn't, you didn't I, just walk back there and be like, hey, hey, ladies, we're just going to start a, a beauty brand. And be like everybody's just going to look at you a little strange. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Right. Well, I, I had always said, we're going to figure out how to mm-hmm. get these products somewhere. But now the somewhere was a little different. Yep. It was like, okay, now we're going to make products. <laughs> and so part of it was uh, helping women make soap, okay. actually taking the shea butter and making a soap out of it. But then there are certain limitations in terms of packaging. So the packaging actually happens in the US and the formulation of our creams and the small batch manufacturing of our creams, all of that happens here because it's hard to find jars, caps, you know, the components that you need. Yeah. Can't source that from, from the communities that we work in. And so that, so it's a, it's a system of where the women do as much as they can, add as much value as they can, giving, you know, the infrastructure, the local resources, and then we do the finishing. And so we utilize the resources, the packaging, everything that we can here in the U.S. to finish it so that it can meet standards and so that it's competitive with other, you know, brands that, you know, are targeting similar customers to us. Where, where is it, like, how many women are, are we, like, talking about here? And, like, where, is it, yeah, is, no. it is it a rural village still in sub mm-hmm. Sub-Saharan? Okay. No, great question. So we actually now work with 14 different communities in northern Ghana. Wow. And there are approximately 800 women across those wow. communities that are structured into a cooperative that we work with. So we actually have Shailene Ghana set up. So it's a separate entity from our U.S. operations. And that is managed leadership as cooperative members and local team members. And we do everything from, from seed to shelf. So the helping women with the <laughs> harvesting, with the processing, setting up the facilities, Um, so that they can make the shea butter, getting it from the northern part of the country, transporting it all the way to the southern part where the port is, getting it on uh, sea freight, shipping it to an East Coast port, clearing it from customs, (laughs) (laughs) getting it packaged, and then getting it to our customers. So I just, I'm just trying to illustrate what that yeah no like absolutely <laughs> you know it, and it's it's funny because as you're talking it the the nonprofit was almost like your accelerator into starting <laughs> business right it's such a weird it's such a weird route to take right because usually like you know nonprofit's not a stepping stone to start a company or a brand but like I think it's no, that's a good it's point. actually a great way to do it now that you kind of laid it out because you learn all development stuff right like working with getting the organizational structure down and, and kind of doing the, the dirty work so to speak and like the hard boring stuff getting that sort of figured out in the nonprofit side but then once you have that sort of completed, then you kind of have a real good head start on like, you know, building, building a brand. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I, I would also add to, 
it really created the foundation of my business model because from the beginning, women have been centered. Mm-hmm. I think it would yeah. have been different if I was like, oh, I'm going to create shea butter products because then yeah. the product would have been centered. Mm-hmm. But this idea of like, how can we really help build that ecosystem and infrastructure, really centering the role of women, create it, you know, if I wasn't looking at it from that perspective, I think mm-hmm. the business model would be very different today. And and I also think too, for me, the, the, the you know, when I, every day, so my email screen, the, the background image is, is of the women because I have to remind myself, yeah. especially during the challenging times where it's like, why am I doing this business? Like there's like one thing after another. Uh, at one point, you know, we had goods stuck. Uh, they weren't releasing our goods. And so they were just on a ship sitting there stuck, you know. Right. <laughs> And I'm like pulling my hair out, trying to figure out how to get it cleared from custom. Those days I have to remind myself, why am I doing this? And for me, you know, our business model increases women's income by five times the country's minimum wage. Wow. And that is financial independence. That is helping women do things like access health services, uh, sending their children to school. That's actually the number one reason. The number one use for increased income is getting their kids in better schools or even just getting them into school, um, investing in other income generating activities. And that's the driver for me. That is what gets me up. That is why I do this. And we've actually had uh, two groups of women come to the U.S. Oh, wow. on separate oh, occasions wow. to walk into a store and see. The oh, product. that's cool. That's so they can cool. so they can connect. They can see, okay, when we're in our community, this is what we make. Look at what happens when it comes all the way over here and gets on a store shelf, you know, Whole Foods. We did a tour of 26 locations in the North Atlantic region Um, and being able to meet customers, being able to meet uh, buyers, being able to meet other stakeholders. And I think for me, that's really important because oftentimes these local community members don't get that opportunity to see the other side of an industry that they're so critically involved in, that their labor is involved in. So whether you're looking at, for example, like a coffee supply chain, it's the same thing. You have these coffee farmers, you know, who don't or even chocolate, who've never had chocolate, (laughs) yet their labor is part of these like huge multi-billion dollar industries. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to switch it around. We need them to be able to see why so many people are coming into their communities and extracting these resources. And for me, that's very transformative because when they go back into their communities, they can share that experience. They can show the pictures. And it's a lot easier for their community members to relate to them than it is me mm. because I'm still yeah. a foreigner. I'm still, right. I look like them, but I'm still different, right? Mm-hmm. And I think being able to have someone that, you know, you're working with, someone that you even grew up with and hear it from them, yeah. that's tra- that's a yeah. transformation. And that's the that's really the core of what I'm trying to do with Shailene is change the way we make products, change the way those products come to market. And throughout that entire process, ensure that people's lives are being impacted in a positive way financially. Is that is that something you can like uh, replicate? Like every like year or a couple of years, you take a couple of women to like some of these stories. I think it's such a cool, it's just a, such a great perspective for them to look at. And I think also like vice versa. The, the other thing I wanted to, to, to ask was that what are what are the the effects of 
when you know a consumer purchases it because i think we can we can buy something off the shelf go home read a back of label go to a website and look and be like man this is really cool but like actually hearing it from from the mouth on the ground of like how this affects a community right like five times a minimum wage is a really big deal anywhere in the world but it, it could go a lot further in, in smaller communities so like what have you seen that you can you know tell consumers like if, if you buy this like this is what happens like kids are, end up mm-hmm. going to school right like healthcare is provided you know women have stable income families have stable income right like the the mm-hmm. effects of our consumer dollar is, is pretty incredible no you're 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 spot on i have people who email us who met the women um back in 2014 and say oh i remember cool. meeting yeah. Gladys, <laughs> I remember, you know and when we did our rebrand for example you know a couple of people shot me notes and they're like oh this is so beautiful I remember when I met them at the National Mall and so it is transformative for our customer as well and I think because of my Peace Corps experience because of growing up in an international family and being very exposed to different cultures different ideas very early on it's built into this business model right it's all about relationships connections being able to put people who may not have ever had the opportunity to meet each other because of distance culture etc you know you're all across the atlantic ocean but bringing all of that together so that we realize and i feel like with covid19 it's really shown us we're all connected what happens in one area can impact and influence someone who's thousands of miles away. And it's the same thing from our customers. What you buy right now in, you know, the your local grocery store or your favorite gift shop truly can impact someone who is thousands of miles away. And so really creating that connection, because it has to be a connection. Yes, we're creating products that are great for our customers, that it's fit filling a need, filling an issue that they're having, dry skin, eczema, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those things, right? We all want to look great and beautiful. But if you choose our brand versus another brand who may not have that built into their model, you're actually choosing to transform someone else's life. It is being able to hear it, not just from me, but also hearing it from the women who are behind the brand. And we've done trips where people have traveled with me to visit the cooperatives. That's cool. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So if you ever, if you want to, you know, leave Amsterdam, bring your family, we'll we'll go to Ghana. You can (laughs) can come to the cooperatives. (laughs) No, I'm being dead serious, dead serious. And that also is transformative. And I think that at the end of the day, it's really widening everyone's perspective and seeing how we all have this incredible ability and also responsibility to make choices that help other people. And it changes kind of the the aid mentality that really hasn't helped Sub-Saharan Africa. Totally, totally. <laughs> it's, it's such a great point. No, it's a great point. Yeah. The, uh, the other thing I want to talk about was you started with soap. You had mentioned soap is is kind of the, the the first product off the shelf, so to speak. It, it's always kind of tough to look at and to do other things, right? Because it, it can mm. be a little nerve wracking to say, hey, shea butter is so multidimensional, right? We could do other things mm-hmm. with it, but will the market sort of accept it? You know, you're going out on a limb with using more supplies and kind of taking a little bit of a risk. So what are some of the other, mm. you know, products after soap that came and, and what were some of those decisions like to actually release now sort of a plethora of, of products? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So what the women make is uh, shea butter, which is an oil that solidifies at room temperature. So it's very thick. 
very, very moisturizing. It leaves a nice kind of like sheen to your skin. Um, and so when they finish their production, that's what the results, you can take that oil, which, uh, mm. you know, essentially a vegetable oil, mm-hmm. plant-based oil and make anything you can think of. I see you have a lovely beard. You can use it as a, you know, a beard <laughs> moisturizer. <laughs> you can use it as a hair conditioner. You know, there's so many different things that you can do just with this one product. And initially we had soap and balms because they're very, you know, fairly easy to make. Mm-hmm. Most of the things that we make, if you have a kitchen, you can make it in the kitchen, like you're baking or cooking. Indie uh, beauty recipes are, are fairly easy. You know, you'll test it and tweak things here and there. So initially, that's all. I wasn't really, again, I, I wasn't building a beauty brand. I was just, you know, trying, <laughs> trying to, to help these women get their products to market. And it was actually based a lot on consumer feedback. Some people would say, oh, this feels good, but it's a little thick for me. Do you have a cream? Mm, Do you have something that's right. lighter? And I was like, I never thought about making a cream, but maybe we should. So many people keep asking for it. And so that's where that evolution came. People were actually asking for other products. And then um, in 2017, we landed a deal with MGM Resorts. And through their spa, they were really interested in creating spa products. And so another request, and I worked with the spa director and we created sugar scrubs and we created products that they could use for manicures and pedicures and relaxing massages. And that was like a, it was very eye-opening for me because actually working with someone who's in the industry and who (laughs) could tell me... Who could tell me, oh yeah, this smells good. You know, I have my own thoughts and my, my own right. points, but to work with someone who has, you know, 20 years of experience, uh, it was it's, it was such a, it was amazing. And so that's when we created things that could be used in body treatments. Mm, so exfoliating your skin, yeah. prepping your skin. And so those are some of the examples of how uh, we formulated and evolved over time and working with chemists to really make sure that our our formulas are right. And we also do testing. So any product before it hits the shelf has to go through a testing phase. And you had mentioned uh, Whole Foods and now MGM. What was it, what was it like to, you know, get that call, right? Or go through that process? Because you know, obviously Whole Foods getting in there is a big deal, but it's also a process, right? It's, it's very difficult yeah. and very hard. So what was that process like? And, and was it sort of stressful and, and do you get like an email? Oh, no, or something? Grant, no, no stress at all. What are you talking about? Does the whole food just like email you and say, hey, you're in? I wish. No, that never happens. <laughs> I mean, at least not for, it did not happen for me. No, uh, Whole Foods was very interesting. I was actually rejected several times. Um, and, and you know, I walked into a Whole Foods and said, hey, do you want to bring your our products That's into awesome. your store? <laughs> and the answer was like, no. <laughs> And the reason was the packaging was awful. Like when I initially, I, I share the stories uh, uh, sometimes when I initially walked in with my first bar of soap, I had packaged it with construction paper and scotch tape. So I'll just let your imagination run, run wild with that one. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a tough uh, first impression, I, I, I would imagine. But I think it's a, <laughs> but I also think it's a great point of why, you know, branding and packaging is so important, no matter if you're a social enterprise or just 
you know, a trendy brand or something like that. That's such an important, you know, thing to have as, as an emerging brand. So, so talk about that when, when they said no, right. And did you go and, and now have to go look at uh, a package designer and go get this part done? Cause you're, you're like learning every single step of the way. Like, this is awesome. Yes. Literally learning. Google was my friend. (laughs) I Googled Everything. everything. I build my business on Google. Everything. I literally be like, okay, what is the best label material? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, because one of the things is that because our product is oily, if you use the wrong label material, mm. the oil will actually degrade the label, right? So like your hands, your fingers, everything. Right. And so you have to have special coating. And so, you know, all of that stuff that I didn't know. And then I would just have to like figure out along the way, or I would try something and then I would see, oh, this actually is, you know, for example, you can't put um, a cream in certain packaging components because it might react poorly with the component because our creams, their formulation of oil and water, preservative systems, making sure that we weren't using any preservative systems um, that were toxic or could potentially be toxic to our customers. So what are natural preservative systems that work? So all of that, you know, and I did work yeah. with a chemist, but I also had to research myself as well, just so I could understand. And if a customer had a question, I could explain it to the customer. Um, but packaging is huge. Yeah. And I would say packaging is probably my uh, weakest area for me as a person, I can barely draw stick figures. And so, (laughs) and so I know, I know when something looks beautiful, I'm like, oh, that's pretty, but I don't know how it gets pretty. And so we're really trying to figure out and working with the right designer who can, and our challenge was creating something that would resonate in terms of pop off the shelf, catch Mm -hmm. a customer's eye, but also that could communicate our differentiation and our community impact. Yeah. And so that was, there was always a tension in trying, in terms of trying to balance that out. It's very difficult to do. When you went back to them, right? Did you, did you set up like another meeting and say, hey, I have an actual packaged box now of product. Would you like to meet again? Yeah. And so I did do that. Uh, I went to someone else and it wasn't like a rejection, rejection, but it just went didn't work out. a lot of times yeah. when, yeah, a lot of times when you pitch, People don't really ever say no. I know, mm. you know what I mean? But their silence mm-hmm. is enough as their silence confirms. <laughs> and so it was one of these things where I got lucky actually, where uh, a senior vice president in the North Atlantic region was launching this program to support social entrepreneurs, um, conscious capitalists under mm. the age of 35 to help with getting their products on shelf. And right. so I learned about that program. Um, it was called Youth Trade. And I applied to that program. And then they put me in I front see. of the right buyers. And then they were like, okay, we'll bring you in. And the buyers that brought us into the North Atlantic region, she and I are still very close, just an amazing, incredible person. And that's how it started. And then when you get into one door, now amazing. you're in seven and then 26. And now you're in another region. And so you how know, many are you in now? So we're in three regions across the Northeast, across the Northeast. So the Northeast, North Atlantic and Mid-Atlantic. And how many, how many stores is that? Like what cities are roughly? So like the Boston area, New York, DC, but then like states like Rhode Island, Mm -hmm. New Hampshire. So the, the Northeast, I guess. The corridor kind of, okay. 
across store, uh, Whole Foods and natural independent stores is roughly 120 locations. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> well, it, it is, but it isn't when you think about the fact that they're, I think they have like 300 locations, three, 355. But then when you look at like, like a Target, they have like over a thousand. So we're still kind of, you know, small when you sure. compare it to those numbers. Of course, but you got to start somewhere, right? Exactly. But actually, before COVID-19, we also had our contract with MGM. Right. And we had an amazing retail location at Washington National Airport, which was uh, phenomenal. Great. It was in- incredible. But COVID-19 shot all of those down for the near term, just because yeah. the travel industry impacted sure. entertainment was impacted so mgm was also impacted so 2020 was uh, very challenging oh. and the pivot that i'm working on now is really building out a digital e-commerce strategy yep. and we launched with macy's uh in february and so we have that business online we'll be rolling out in stores with them but i think for protecting kind of against pandemics <laughs> we'll have to build yeah. out a very clear digital strategy. <laughs> will, will, will some of this, will the like the MGM partnerships and like the airport, would that come back this year or, or next year, you think? Possibly. I'm not sure, honestly. I, I say yes, but I also think that strategically I'm changing my business model. I'm changing yeah. how my customer gets my products. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so it just depends on how that rollout goes. Ideally, I would want to have 60 to 70% of my business go through digital and then be totally. really like intentionally around what, what are some of the um, retail strategies that make sense to support a business model that's primarily online. Because with the MGM, and you don't have to divulge if you don't want to, but was it MGM branded? No, it was Shailene. Okay. Shailene. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Shailene. I would like to sort of, you know, end a little bit on, on the future. And yeah. uh, some successes that you would and goals that, that you might have as as a company and as a brand over the next like, you know, three to five years. And, and so you said mm-hmm. building out e-commerce infrastructure, obviously, you know, a huge part of brand strategy nowadays. And, and so what are, what are some of the goals that you hope to reach? As- yeah, well, uh, on the supply side, uh, one of our goals is to expand to additional countries and looking at mm-hmm. other ingredients. And so I'll African-based, plant-based ingredients. So like moringa, baobab, um, arula, neem. There's so many incredible ingredients for health and wellness. And so I want to expand. I'm looking at South Sudan, Uganda, mm. Cameroon, Senegal. And so in, in June, I'll actually be doing some site visits. I'll be going to Ghana and I'll also be going to Cameroon just to kind of explore what are some of other communities that we can work with. So on the supply side, really building that out, more ingredients, more communities. And then on the market side, really doubling down on digital and online and really figuring that out. And so right now I'm part of the uh, NASDAQ Milestone Makers Program, which was through their entrepreneurial center. And so I'm working uh, to figure out what a digital go-to market strategy would look like. And that support has been incredible. In addition to support from JP Morgan Chase, they are doing a program where they support entrepreneurs on a, an issue that they're, that they're mm-hmm. that's challenging them. And so building out like a, a financial model that moves our strategies 
to digital and really looking at what are some of the assumptions that we need to be looking at. How would we build out that funnel? Like some of the questions that I really don't know, but I can tap into resources that can help me figure that out. Um, And so it's really, yeah, it's how can we communicate our product value, our social impact value in a way that connects to the right customer? And how can we do that from a digital uh, perspective? So what does influencer marketing look Mm -hmm. like? Mm -hmm. You know, what does the UX and UI design look like on our site? How do we build out the funnel? Like, again, big deal. These are big things. Yes. So that's going to take some time. And in terms of like, what, what does that look like over the next three years or so? I mean, my goal is to get anyone with skin to use our products. So that's a lot of people. (laughs) The the market is quite large. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. And so getting our products in front of more people and really making sure that when anyone thinks about shea butter, they're thinking about how it's impacting a woman in Africa. Amazing story. Thank you so much for, for taking the time and talking. I think it's, uh, I, I love the the journey of, of going from, you know, Peace Corps to, of course, Peace Corps, that you got to start a nonprofit, right? It's like the, the thing <laughs> after it. But then also even uh, graduating even further, right? And really starting a company and a brand. Because to me, I just think that is the sustainable approach, right? And, and the model that gets people out of extreme poverty, you know, and creates long lasting, you know, change in communities. Um, so I, I really just love, love the idea of, of building companies and brands rather than nonprofit organizations. Cause I just think it's long-term, it's just a better avenue for, for growth, not only that, but, you know, economic growth and, and, and just a community being uplifted. So great mm-hmm. work so far and, and best of luck the, the rest of this year and, and the next decades to come. No, thank you so much. This was an amazing conversation. I really appreciate it.